Hello, everyone. I know you all were expecting our look at the 2020 experience this week. However, due to some other circumstances, there has been a bit of a delay in that. So that'll actually be in a couple of weeks for now. I, we don't have a new episode for you this week, but we do have a rerun of our sister podcast, Turn Back Time, a share podcast. It's one of the episodes that Corey and I did together. We'll be discussing... Cher's Not Commercial album, released in 2000, but recorded in 1994. So, hope you enjoy that while you're waiting for the next episode. And next week, we will be diving into Lady Gaga's Joanne. And then we will do our two-part on the 2020 experience with our friends. So, sorry for the delay, but we're not going to leave you hanging too much. There will still be stuff coming your way. And in the meantime, we hope you enjoy our look at Shares Not Commercial. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of the Turn Back Time podcast. I'm joined once again by my good friend, Corey Cross. For those of you who've been listening, you may remember him from our 1975 episode, but this week we're talking about 2000 and the Not Commercial album. Hi, Corey. How are you today? I'm good, Charlie. Thank you for having me. Before we talk about the album, we have to get some other housekeeping out of the way for the few other events that happened this year. So Cher continued the Believe Tour from 1999 into the early months of 2000 and continued to be a success. Most of the shows sold out, ended on March 3rd in Boston. A final show in Philly had to be canceled due to illness. But that happens to all of us sometimes. But it was an end to a fantastic tour. Um, did you listen to last week's episode? I didn't. I didn't get a chance to yet. Okay, yeah. I talk about the Believe Tour there. And um, nice. I'm not going to go into it all again because that would be repeating myself. But it's a fantastic show. Agreed. I've seen the show. It, The song in itself took on its own entity almost. So I'm, I'm excited to hear what you have to say about that in last week's Oh, about episode. the Las Vegas show? Oh, yeah. Oh, the yeah. Believed, yeah, it's a classic. Most definitely. Yes, and uh, this year she also presented at the Emmy Awards and the Oscar Awards. I like her Emmy presentation because earlier in the night she <laughs> lost her award, but she came back with blonde hair to say she changed her hair because she lost and and now that she's a blonde, she'll probably forget it. It was yeah, her punchline. I yep. love it. <laughs> and then I forgot. <laughs> what was she? Okay, so she was up for individual performance in like a musical slash variety think, show. Variety like in a special or show. Okay, I wish they would have said special because it was a very weird mix of people it really in that, was. and shows like for for even share to be in there like had to be like wait a minute this is the emmys and uh it's like share molly shannon from saturday night live uh billy crystal for the the oscars yeah uh, it was wild it was, uh, yeah. it was 
It was a weird one. <laughs> and I found it cruel that the cast of Will and Grace had to do it, because as we all know, Cher was on Will and Grace. <laughs> and I had gone over your notes before, uh, or your links, and I was like, wait a minute, is this all tied together? <laughs> or it was just some wild coincidence that they had to make Will and Grace say it. Now, actually, that was probably malicious. It had to end up being malicious, you know? If anyone knew the Will and Grace show, they knew how much uh, Jack loved the Dow, let alone Cher. And uh, that's a heck of a thing to have Jack read that Cher lost, you know? <laughs> yeah, it really is. Cher also presented an award to Phil Collins at the Oscars, and they had some cute pictures together on the red carpet. But back to Will and Grace, Yes, this is the year Cher appeared on Will and Grace in November of 2000 in an episode called Gypsies, Tramps, and Weed. The weed is in reference to a subplot. This is my favorite episode of the show, unsurprisingly. Of course, Cher's in it. But <laughs> I enjoy the subplots as well. And uh, Jack's subplot features him carrying around a Cher doll. They even go to a diner, well, a restaurant, really, and have a table for four so Cher can have a seat. And of course, Cher is there, and Jack gets to meet his idol, but he mistakes her for a drag queen. So great. So classic. It, it raised the question for me, I wonder if Cher's really ever got that. Or like, how many times has she got it, you know? Uh, where people are almost in disbelief when they see her, and they're like, yeah, right. And they're like, oh my God. I mean, he fainted when she slapped him, you know? <laughs> yep. It was a hilarious scene, and the ratings were very high for it, over 22 million viewers. Wow. And it started a trend for the show. They had a lot of guest stars after this. They really did. Um, they weren't all as good as Cher, though, but what, what can you do? They just didn't work around it as well, I don't think. Yep, they can only try to be Cher. <laughs> yes yes they can another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of slash talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. But the main event of this year is the album Not Commercial. It wasn't recorded in 2000. It was recorded in 1994. And I'm going to let Cher explain it in the liner notes of this album. In the spring of 94, I was invited to a writer's retreat outside of Bordeaux, France. Even before I left my house, there was magic. The week before my trip, I would wake up in the middle of the night and write and write and write. I was like the girl with the red shoes. I couldn't stop writing. I flew to Paris, caught the commuter to Bordeaux, drove two hours down a country road in the dark, up a hill, down a long driveway, and there it was, the castle. It was scary and thrilling at the same time, my favorite combination. In the morning, I got up and ran to breakfast. I was late, of course. I run on something called Taurus time. In the great banquet hall, there were knights in armor, beautiful queens painted on the walls, and a huge long table where everyone was laughing and talking and eating. I walked in, and they all came over to hug me. 
It was wonderful. We ate and then it was time to work. I was so scared. How would it work? Would all these new friendly artists think I was stupid? Share. Oh God, I wanted to go to the bathroom, get a glass of water. I wanted my mother. But never mind all that. I did what I always do. Pretend I can do something and let God take care of the rest. Then it all just happened. Enjoy it. I hope it speaks to your heart. Love, Bay. Pretty powerful. Yes, and she went back to New York to record this album with David Letterman's band, who she knew. They are the ones playing on all of these tracks, and I think they do a fantastic job, personally. I was blown away. I didn't know it was them. Um, that's phenomenal. I, In my head, I thought she just recorded this whole thing in a castle with a bunch of musicians. Nope, she wrote it all at the castle, but she didn't record it all. However, she presented this album to her new label head, Rob Dickens, because she was a new sign to Warner Records at this point. And he said, this music's nice, but it's not commercial enough. He had something else in mind. So it sat on the shelf. Cher gave it as a Christmas gift to some friends and then forgot about it. Well, not completely, but she had to move on to other things. However, after the success of Believe, she decided to use a new medium known as the internet to distribute this album and sold the CDs on her website. The album was released on November 8th by Artist Direct and Isis Records, and it didn't chart. It was an independent release. Of course, it didn't chart. No singles were released, but there was interest in it, and Artist Direct held a nice fan conference with Cher that was that is available on YouTube, I should say. What did you think about that event? I really enjoyed it personally. I, th I thought it was awesome. It, I mean, it reminded me of that old MTV era type of interview. Um, but the questions were, were varied and some were personal and they're usually the ones that took Cher a little bit longer to answer. Uh, you know, like, who's your favorite singer? Stuff like that. Um, and then some were, were just cut up laughter conversations. It was cool. It was neat. I've never, yeah. I've never seen her sit down and talk like that before. It was, it was cool to see. Yeah, usually it's on a talk show. It's much more staged. This was more informal, which is good. I like the more off-the-cuff feel of it personally. And uh, though this album isn't one of her top releases, it is a fan favorite. It was re-released on her website in 2012 for a bit, but it's out of print again. I have my CD copy of it from that era, and that's where I have my liner notes for it. But with that all being said, I want to talk about this album, which begins with a song called Still. In the liner notes, she says, this is one of my most personal lyrics, most revealing to be exact. When I go, I go big time for that cosmic minute. These personal lyrics were inspired by a brief relationship she had with a married man. She talked about this in both her book and the fan conference. Nobody knew what she saw in him. His wife even asked her what she saw in him. And she said, if you don't know, I can't tell you, which is a fair response to that. This is one of my favorites on the album. It's intense and the sense of heartbreak is really powerful. Like my heart cried out for you over an ocean and your pain cried out for me across the wave. Those are the opening lines. It sets the mood for me. It's poetry. 
what did you think of this song? I loved it. I uh, I thought it had hit qualities, and then I realized that it was a six minute song, and immediately said, "Okay, here's why." They were like, "This is not commercial." I mean, she really all the way across this album, she poured her heart out. But like in this, and it was the 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 first track on the album. I was super excited to see what came afterwards. This is definitely my favorite on the album. Um, and it, it has hit qualities. It, if you, I wish you would never, but if you stuffed it into three minutes and 40 seconds so the radio would play it, she would have had another Believe right after Believe. I, I would hope that it could have been that way. It is a great song. I just don't think they were ready for it in 94. And this is a story song. She is not in hit mode here. She's in pure singer-songwriter mode. And I love it because I love singer-songwriters. So... They're some of my favorite kinds of artists. This is that album, too. Yeah, this is that album for her. There hasn't been one quite like it since. Though I hope she writes again. I think it would be interesting to hear what she has to say. But she definitely had a lot to say on the next song, Sisters of Mercy. This song I really wrote for my mom. When I was a baby, she was forced to put me in a Catholic orphanage while she worked at an all-night diner for a dollar a night. When she went to get me back, the mother superior told her she should put me up for adoption. It took my mother six months to get them to release me back to her. I guess we were both well-gutted by that experience. I have, however, known plenty of nuns and priests that are loving, caring human beings. This is an intense song. These lyrics are very harsh. I think maybe a bit too harsh, in my opinion. Um, I'm a bit biased, though. My family is definitely Catholic. I've known many nice nuns and priests. There is hypocrisy in the church. I'm glad that she pointed that out. But I also feel like some poetic license is taken here, considering that these events happened when she was a baby. Of course, it'll still affect you. But how much of it does she truly remember? I don't find this offensive personally, but I can see why people do find it offensive. It does make me a little uncomfortable. What did you think? Well, it's one of the reasons why I loved that you have the liner notes for this tonight, because my first listen through notes for Sister of Mercy says super powerful wonder if it was from backlash from the church community i thought the way i was reading her trying to to figure out where her story was on this i was i read it as mad at like uh the church group medias you know you know how they were big in the like the 90s well now i mean still now but like when in that when that mtv era were, was was blossoming you had these church groups that were coming up against it so that's what i thought she was talking about it's neat to hear the the orphan story that's crazy yeah it make it would make sense that interpretation because uh, that definitely was a thing but they hated madonna more than they hated Cher. honestly understandably they hated her more i would say oh most definitely yeah but i think her vocal on this song is probably the best on the album vocally it's an impassioned performance even if the lyrics make me a little uncomfortable, but I think that's the point of the song. Definitely is. It, you, you hit it right there on the head. It is supposed to, to grip you and make you feel, make you feel, period, you know? Yes. 
But uh, fortunately, the next song is a bit lighter. The next song is called Runnin'. Her liner notes are, well, that's me in a nutshell, isn't it? This one's pretty simple. It's about how you just have to keep on going even though you don't want to. And it's a simple yet relatable message. I certainly found it relatable. There's times I've had to keep on running even when I didn't really want to. What I like here is that this song is track number three, and track number three on Believe is Run Away. If that's the name of track three on Believe. I, like th- I think that's a coincidence, but I like that that's the case. That's super neat. Uh, I hope it's not a coincidence. <laughs> this one's not a banger like that one. It's much slower. But I do like the arrangement on this one a lot. And I think it's effective. I So I listened to the songs out of this order, but my notes for this were another country dobro feel because she really, for me, gets into this this country twang on a lot. Um, and then I love the hook in here, the sale, sale, sale. I love that. That was, that was one of my favorite parts of that song. This album's definitely a pop rock country hybrid. She even said, I don't know what kind of music it is. <laughs> and she's got a point. This one's the hardest to classify into just one genre of her albums, I think. And track number five, I'm really curious... Oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead. But I am curious to hear what you think of track five. But track number four is Born With The Hunger. This is one of two songs on this album I did not write. My friend Shirley Eichard wrote it for me at the same time the album was being recorded. She is a sparkling woman and a great writer. I think this is kind of similar to Runnin'. It has a similar theme of being born with the hunger and wanting to continue to feel satisfied no matter what. I think this song sums up Cher pretty well. I don't find it quite as effective as the songs that she wrote. It does stick out a little bit, but I still enjoy it okay. I like the lines about the coyote, personally. I like the poetry of that. Shirley Eichardt actually wrote a much better song, in my opinion, around this time called Lovers Forever, but that wasn't recorded until almost 20 years after this. I won't be talking about that song until 2013. So what were your thoughts on Born With The Hunger? I, I, It's so wild to hear that it's not her song because for me, it sounded like almost like you said, it sounded almost out of place uh, on this album. Uh, I, It was the one though that when she sings It Never Dies, that arrangement is flawless. Oh God, it's so awesome. I was singing it around the house afterwards. Okay. <laughs> it, it, it's crazy also because I said I listened to this before I watched the, the fan interaction. And when they asked her who would be your uh, all-time duet, and of course this might not be her all-time, but she came straight out there and was like Katie Lang. When I listened to it again, I was like, okay, that's where she was. Even if you think where she was like, in my listening collection right now is me, the Eagles, Bob Seger, and uh, Bonnie Wright. Bonnie Wright. Thank you. Thank you. That's where I was going with that. Uh, yeah. So it, you can hear all, almost all that on here. I laughed out loud, and we'll get to the, the notes for this song, but I laughed out loud because I had made a note 
the first time through that was said in the in the interview. But yeah, going back to Born with the Hunger, uh, it was it was a cool song, you know, like it was good, but it, it wasn't on par with the rest of this album. Okay, that's fair. I have to agree. It's not quite my favorite either. The next one I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on because this is an event that you lived through and it was a big pop culture thing that this song was based on. The Fall, Kurt's Blues in parentheses. It's about Kurt Cobain. Here were the liner notes for this one. This one's very intense. I will say that much. Okay. This is my favorite song on the album. I didn't know Kurt Cobain, but one morning about 5.30, I woke up, turned on MTV, and there was Courtney Love reading his suicide note out loud. It was surreal. I turned off the television and wrote this song for him. I hope somewhere he likes it. And she also noted in the interview that she wasn't familiar with Kurt Cobain's work. I find it hard to believe she didn't at least know Smells Like Teen Spirit, but... Overall, she wasn't familiar, but her son was a fan of his. So, I know, were you a Nirvana fan back in the nineties? I, w- I was a Nirvana fan. I didn't. I wasn't like I was around a lot of people who cried like immediately when he died. And as a music lover, I I didn't feel him like that. I did enjoy their music, um, but for me, it wasn't like John Lennon dying or something akin to that that level i could see her not seeing or not hearing any of his stuff or like the way you would listen to your kids stuff when you just pass by i the first time i listened to the song i didn't know that that's what it was about so then when i heard she was like courtney i was like courtney then she said the note and i was like holy moly here we go so going back and listening and she she says some cool stuff she says some cool stuff in there uh it started off and it sounded, here's the, the notes from the first time I listened to it. Grunge start and changes into a Western country with the slide dobro. Like, so uh, it, it, this was a neat one for me. I really liked it. This one almost felt like a time capsule of sorts uh, for those feelings. Just listening to her talk about it. And then to find out she wasn't even in anything. She was pissed just because she saw someone read a, a suicide note. Uh, it was pretty cool. I enjoyed this one a lot. Yeah, I liked this one too. It's not one I listen to a lot because it's so bleak. It's just maybe a bit too bleak for me. Suicide's just something that really is hard for me to read about or listen to. That's just me personally, though. But I find it interesting that Cher felt she could relate to Kurt Cobain on some level, enough to write this song because... uh, She's about as far removed from grunge as it gets. I mean, in some ways, she's pretty far removed from that scene. I don't think most Nirvana fans would have been caught dead jamming to believe in the late 90s. That's all I'm saying. It's interesting. I think maybe it's a bit too raw for me. I think that's my problem with it. I appreciate it. It's just not something I feel the need to go back and listen to on a regular basis because it's just so intense. That's why when she said, I, I'm not really uh, inspired by Kirk Cobain or he hadn't inspired me, it, I, it almost was, I was in disbelief. 
because that song is so Kurt Cobain, you know? Uh, some of the alliteration, like talking to the other side and the whole nine, or, you know, I hope you like this song wherever you are. Uh, it, it was it was super heavy. It reminded me in that aspect of an old Kurt Cobain. Yep, I guess it was just cosmic interference of some kind. That's all <laughs> I can even, say. She even said that in the interview. She was like, well, we're connected somehow. Like, well, you are now. Yep. Somehow, some way. Track six is another sad song, but not quite as hard for me to listen to. It is With or Without You. This is not a U2 cover, though I think that would be awesome if she did this song by U2, but it's not a U2 cover. I love the organ on this song. That adds another dimension to me. And I actually saw a comment on Instagram. I follow a lot of the share fan accounts on Instagram through the account for this podcast, obviously. And uh, somebody thought this was about the bagel boy, Rob Camaletti. It is not. She confirmed it was about the same man that still is about. And Mm. how could I forget the liner notes for this one? Let me pull those out. Never let it be said that I let a broken heart go to waste. This is just one of those songs inspired by the breaker written by me, the breakee. I still love the song, but possibly not the man. There's a certain poetry in that, I think. I agree with that completely. A lot of great music comes from breakups. This is another example of it. This is my favorite song on the album. A part of me, however... Feels like this song is too intense to just be about a brief affair. I think maybe partially somewhere deep down it might be a bit about Greg Allman because she was married to him and that was a really intense relationship. She did love him very much, but it did not work out. I still love it, though. I think it's a great vocal. You can feel her pain when she sings it. But I think it might be about more than one person. I know some singer-songwriters are like that. I thought it was about Greg Allman. I'm not even messing with you. And I I have in my notes for this, love her voice three times uh, because it, she crushes this one. But I definitely thought it was about Greg Allman. Yeah, I think at least part of it is, I mean, singer-songwriters, sometimes they like to say part of the story, but not the whole story. I've noticed in following some of the people I follow, such as a Stevie Nicks or a Taylor Swift, they'll say part of it, but not the whole thing. And I like that they do that. It helps keep their songs and their personalities interesting. This is just another example of that, in my opinion. So, yeah, this is my favorite on the album. I hope she does this one in her virtual concert she said she might do sometime this year of songs that weren't hits. This is one I think she should do from this album. Track number seven is another interesting one that's not quite as uh, personal or current for the 90s, but I think it's still relevant today. It's called Fit the Fly. I started out writing this song for my grandfather who was in the invasion of Normandy, World War II. But then I realized I was writing for all the men and women who have served their country and then somehow been kicked to the curb. It pisses me off to see how we just turn our backs on people who have risked their lives so that we can be safe and sit around on our asses and play war games on our game boys. (laughs) That's so 2000, that liner note, because uh, 
We have more complicated devices than Game Boys now. Now we freak out over a PS5. <laughs> I really like the driving beat of this song. This song actually kind of reminded me of a song that came out in 2020. It's somebody I mentioned just before, Taylor Swift, put out a song on her folklore album called Epiphany, which is about her grandfather who served in World War II, but it compares her grandfather's battles to the battles that healthcare workers are fighting currently in this pandemic. And have you seen the folklore long pond sessions on Disney Plus? No, not yet. You I you have to there. watch it because not only is the music great, her brain is just on another level. And when she <laughs> talked about that song, I was like, oh, she is a genius. And in a 2020, 2021 sense, this song kind of reminds me of that. I highly doubt Taylor Swift has ever heard this song. I don't think she was inspired by it. But I think this song is still relevant today, and I enjoy it. it this was a cool one. I, I love this one because I love songs or stories that are told from multiple perspectives. That's literally the note I have for this uh, from my first listen through. Is just love uh, a story told from multiple perspectives. This was the laugher for me. First listen through, I wrote keyboard feels very Eagles. <laughs> and then she said she was listening to the Eagles in the interview. Uh, you can, you just feel her throughout this. Everything that was around her or in her brain at this point is coming out in this album. Yeah, this is definitely the real share musically. It's definitely influenced by those artists she said were in her collection. And it's not always like the music she actually records, but it is the real her. And that's one thing you have to appreciate about this album. It's definitely a peek behind the celebrity. Track number eight is another interesting one, Disaster Cake. I love the title of that song. Liner notes are, I wrote this song about Chaz's ex-girlfriend, Heidi. She was staying at my home trying to get her life together. I tried to talk to her, but people have always got to learn for themselves. Around my house, we call it learning the hard way. Heidi was actually in a band with Chaz back in the 90s, and they had a harassment problem with an old friend of Cher's, Mark Hudson. Apparently, he sexually harassed Heidi and really disillusioned Chaz from the music business. At least that was part of the reason he was disillusioned. This is a really blunt song. I think it's interesting how it's another side of Cher. She was vulnerable earlier in the album on songs like Still, With or Without You, and even The Fall. But here she's the one giving advice. I love the driving beat of this song. I feel the lyrics are poetic, but they're also really on the nose. Personally, I think the lyrics for this one could have been a bit streamlined. It's a little too stream of consciousness for me, but that's just my opinion. What do you think about that? My first note was stealing the phrase. Disaster cake is my new favorite thing to say, by the way. Uh, but the, you're right. It's a blunt. Blunt's the perfect way to put this song. Uh, I, I had notes here that said sounds almost like either a retrospective if she was talking to like a younger version of her or maybe someone's daughter or her daughters uh or or i guess her stepdaughters but uh knowing that it was actually talking to 
to someone uh, that was living with her, trying to yell at somebody and not getting through and be like, well, you're going to make a disaster cake. Go on. <laughs> it, it was uh, it's definitely a, a powerful piece. Yeah, it's relatable. I think we've all wanted to give this kind of advice to somebody in our lives at some point. It's just a bit too stream of consciousness for me, like I said. But that's just my personal taste. All right, track number nine, the second to last song here. And the last original tune is Our Lady of San Francisco, another one of the controversial songs here. Her liner notes for this song are longer than the ones for any other song. The lyrics of this song are the story exactly how it happened. I was on my way to a famous fabric shop in San Francisco. I had only one hour off and I didn't feel like being charitable with my time or myself and just stepped over a woman lying in the street with only one shoe. What am I, nuts? I went back. This is the story. I want to thank Bob Dole. You heard me, Bob Rocks for his courage and kindness in giving me permission to put this song on the album. I mean and meant no disrespect to him. When I write, I don't edit my feelings. They just come from somewhere. I am so proud that he felt somewhat shell-shocked by the lyric. Again, I'm known for saying what I feel, but my mother did not raise me to be disrespectful to anyone, much less a hero. I feel the message of this song was strong enough to take the hits. I agree with that. This is a story song in a quite literal sense. First verses. I met a woman in San Francisco who was lying in the street. I walked on past her in a hurry. I didn't want her at my feet. This song is really relatable. I feel like we've all kind of, I hate to say it, steered our nose up at homeless people. We assume the worst about them. And we become desensitized to I know, I think particularly for me coming from a suburb of Baltimore, when I go to the city, I'm just desensitized to it. I know that's terrible to say, but it's true. So I give her a lot of credit for taking on a really tough subject with this song. My only issue with it is it's too short. It's not even two and a half minutes. I think something could have been added to it to make it a bit more impactful maybe a parallel story or something. What do you think? I, uh, I'm i loving these ladder notes. <laughs> my, I, my first listen through notes, I have Bob Dole's Worthless Arm in capitals. Like, wow, she just went and said it. Uh, and then the homeless aspect was right there throughout the whole thing. Uh, I thought it was her reflection on culture, but ultimately it is. Uh, you know, everybody's walking by and nobody's stopping. She did at this point. Uh, it, it was cool. I liked it. I, I, I have to disagree with the uh, with the length. I thought this one was a, a quick jab, a punch, and it got your attention. Uh, and it did it did what it needed to do. It, it was a good one. I, I enjoyed this one. The final song on the album is a bonus track. It's a much earlier song, all the way back from 1971. This was recorded right before the Sonny and Cher comeback of that year with their TV show and Cher doing Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. This song is called Classified 1A. She wrote about this in the liner notes. I always felt this was one of Sonny's best songs. We tried to put it out in the 70s, but we're told by everyone that it was un-American. Well, son, we'll let the people decide, babe. 
I think this is an underappreciated song from her early years. I can see why it wasn't played. It is controversial. It is blunt about the impact of the Vietnam War. That's what inspired it. I think the fact that it was added to the album made a lot of sense, even though it was recorded over 20 years before the rest of the songs. On one hand, it was not commercial. And on the other hand, Sonny had passed away by 2000. So I feel like in a way, this is kind of a tribute to him and her shining a light on a song of his that wasn't commercial and really had something to say. I think this is the best song he ever wrote that really made a point. This one's heartbreaking. It combines the horrors of both war and having your heart broken. What did you think of this song? I I didn't find the war parallel the first time I listened to this song and thought, in fact, that it was Cher's goodbye to, to Sonny. Then found through listening again uh, that it was indeed not. I actually thought the title of this was all four. I didn't realize that he was the the artist on this. Uh, it is this is the one that that hits you in the feels. And I don't know a lot of Sonny Bono's stuff, but this has got to be one of his best. Uh, it, it's it's. It's a great song. (laughs) It is. And honestly, he wrote some fantastic songs like I Got You Babe and the Beat Goes On. But some of the songs he wrote weren't good. If I'm going to be honest, they just weren't. I talked about them early on in the podcast. Some of them were difficult to get through for me. And uh, he really wasn't the best at taking on social issues. There were a few times that he tried to And it didn't work out, but this time he did it really effectively. So I think the poorly written social commentary songs were worth it if it could give us classified 1A. I am sad it was never included on an album. I don't think it would have fit on one of the early 70s share albums. It would have stuck out like a sore thumb, but it is a fantastic song. And I would say it's my number one favorite on the album, even though it's from an earlier time, it's just so heart-wrenching. I mean, I said I love you dying in the mud. It's funny you should know I'm not the one that feels bad. Some guy is gonna knock at our front door. Honey, he's gonna try and tell you in a nice way that Mrs. you're not Mrs. anymore. It's just devastating. That line is my favorite line of the whole song. Oh, it, it was picture painted. It, it, it oh. song took your breath away. It was it was that good of a song. Definitely, and it didn't stick out. Like you're totally right. That that's the awesome part about it, especially being from so long before. It was perfect on this album. Yeah, the only major difference for me was really the vocal. Obviously, the '90s vocals are more evolved than the. 1971 vocals but it still worked well as a bonus track for this album and i'm glad that she gave it another spotlight and uh, there we have the not commercial album for me i give this one a b plus it's not one i go back and listen to often i actually hadn't listened to the album for a few years before this week 
but I found a lot more to appreciate this time. I think the fact that I've gotten into more singer-songwriters since the time I last listened to this album helped me appreciate it a bit more. I do think some of it's a bit too on the nose. I like stuff that's a bit more oblique. I'm a big fan of Stevie Nicks and Joni Mitchell and Neil Young, who aren't always quite as specific as Cher is here. But I still found a lot to enjoy. I don't love it as much as some other fans do. It is definitely a fan favorite. But I did find a lot to enjoy here. My top three songs on the album are Classified 1A, With or Without You, and Still. What would you say are your top favorites? I know you said Still was your number one. Still still has number one. Classified has number two. Oh, man, that's a tough three here, man. It's a tough three. I'm gonna have to go. Uh, I'm. I'm gonna have to go. The fall, Kurtz Blues. Uh, I'm. That's my number three. Good pick. It was Cher's favorite on the album, so that gets her stamp of approval. So <laughs> that's always a good thing. And uh, that kind of about does it for 2000. She spent the rest of this year working on the follow-up to Believe, which at the time she called Son of Believe. It ended up being living proof, but that's my that's for me to talk about next week. I love living proof, though. And she also mentioned that she was working on a TV movie version of the musical Mame, but that didn't come to fruition. My guess is it was delayed due to the fact that Cher did living proof and then her never ending tour in support of it, because that was the farewell tour that lasted for three years. I think it's a shame that she didn't do Mame, though. I think it would have been a great part for her. I think she would have done better than Lucille Ball did in her movie version of it. I love Lucy, but uh, not one of her finest moments. Our Lucy is not a singer. She She's not. Cher would have sung the part well. That's what I'm saying. And acted it well. I think it would have been a great part. I'm sad we didn't get to see it. But at least she gave us not commercial. There you go. At least she did that for us. So thank you for joining me once again on this episode. Thank you for having me. It's always a blast, Charlie. Always a blast indeed. Next week, I'll be talking about living proof in the year 2001. Until then, subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. Rate it on iTunes and follow on Facebook and Instagram at Turn Back Time Podcast. Until then, take care of yourselves and stay safe. I'll see you all next week.